0: Dr. Jason Lancaster.
1: It's good to be with you this morning. Appreciate you praying for me, and for those in our church who are struggling through this right now, my family, so far so good. Um, I'm staying away from them, and that's good. I really wanted to preach this passage last week. In fact, of all the passages in Hebrews, This is the one that I've put the most time and effort into of the whole book. But I couldn't go last week, so I appreciate you, Levan, pulling that one off. Um, But I want you to know before we preach this, that this church called me to be the pastor three years ago to preach the word of God. And this passage here doesn't tend to lend itself to church growth. It can sometimes empty uh, all the pews. Uh, So I just want you to know that I'm just here as a communicator of the word. I love you. It's a hard word, but it's what we need. It's what the church always needs throughout history. So let me pray before we open up. Lord, I just ask you to speak now through your word, by your spirit, this hard word that we need to hear, just like the original church needs to hear, and all the churches since then and around the world. So I ask you to speak now with your truth. Help us to hear. In Christ's name, amen. I went to college at Arkansas Tech University in Russellville, and when I would drive home uh, for a weekend, my father actually lived in Hot Springs, and I would travel from down Highway 7 from Russellville to Hot Springs through the winding roads. And being a, a college student and not too wise, I could be going really fast, like 55 miles an hour or more, down to 20. And sometimes I got so scared that I was going to go off the mountain. Like I need to slow down. Because there were times I was not paying attention to the signs, to the curves, and it got quite dangerous. Now, my mother actually lives in Harrison, Arkansas. So in college, I would go from Russellville to Harrison, down Highway up, Highway 7, right? Curvy, crazy roads. One time, my stepfather came upon an accident of some young people and watched the guy die right in front of him on that road because they weren't paying attention driving on the curvy roads, weren't paying attention to the warning signs, and it was disastrous. And I think something very similar can happen to us spiritually if we are not paying attention to our walk with the Lord, the consequences can be disastrous. Where we think, ah, it's no big deal if I pull away from fellowship. It's no big deal if I'm not obeying the Lord right now. It's no big deal if I'm caught up in a certain sin. It's a no big deal if I set the Bible aside. When we're not paying attention, even spiritually speaking, the results can be disastrous. And that's what the author of Hebrews is giving us this morning. He's saying, pay more careful attention. Pay more careful attention. That's the lingo that he uses in Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, he says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away This is the first warning in the book of Hebrews, a warning of five warnings in this book where the author is exhorting the church to pay attention. And I have studied these warnings for years, and I have wrestled with these ideas, uh, and I thought I had them pinned down, but they've actually been pinning me down, but they've been really good to wrestle with. I got to give credit to Dr. Peter O'Brien who helped me understand these, uh, Thomas Schreiner and Ardell Kennedy who helped me view these warnings. And so, if you ever want to dive deeper into these warnings, there's a book called "The Race Set Before Us," the race set before us by Schreiner and Kennedy. I found very helpful. But the matter here is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. I, I heard this story of a pastor who baptized 10 people, and then he had a luncheon for them afterwards. And at this luncheon, he said that if the statistics hold in the American church, then this is what's going to happen to the 10 of you over the next three years. He said, one of you will get divorced and leave the church altogether. Three of you will leave because you got your feelings hurt. One tragedies will strike and you'll leave. And then two will leave because of failure or shame. And two more will leave because of disinterest. So he's saying, of the ten of you, one will remain faithful and engaged. That must have been a really encouraging lunch. But we must pay more careful attention We all know stories of people falling away from the Lord, and we think that would never, ever happen to us. That's why the warnings are here. So let's look at the details. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. This verse is pointing back to the foundation the author was building in chapter one on the superiority of the final revelation in the son. Now comes this warning based upon the truth of the final revelation in the superior son, Jesus is better. And the warning is not simply to pay attention, but it says pay much closer attention. They were to increase the degree to which they have been paying attention to what they have heard. What does it mean, what we have heard? Well, that's just another way of talking about the gospel. God's final revelation to this world in his son. They were to pay more attention to the gospel. They were to pay more attention to Jesus. They were to look at Christ, think about Christ, discuss Christ, pray in the word, thinking about his perfect life, death, death glorious resurrection and ascension, they are pay much more careful attention to what they have heard because there's some problems going on. There's some uh, persecution. There's something going on that's pressing on the church that is trying to damper their attention to the things of the Lord. And the author, he sees this pressure they are under and he warns them to give the strictest attention to the things they have heard in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, but here's the question. The question is this, ask yourself, who do these warnings apply to? Do these warnings apply to Christians or not? Some suggest that the descriptions of the people in the warning passage are descriptions of non-believers. Is that true? Well, we're going to be going through five warnings throughout our time in Hebrews. Let me show you one description of a warning uh, from chapter 6, Verses 4 through 5, Hebrews 6, 4 through 5. I have it up here for you. This is a description of who the warning is for. Okay, it says, those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. I don't know about you, but that sounds like believers. Okay, so I I think the warning is to believers. You say, well, are you sure? Well, turn back to the passage in chapter two again. Turn back to chapter two again. And I want you to notice that the author here (laughs) is including himself in this warning. Verse one of chapter two. For this reason, we must pay more careful attention. Does the author not think himself to be a believer? (laughs) It's something addressed to believers. He is addressing the church corporately because God has moved in their midst. I mean, how else are you going to talk to a church? You're going to call them brothers and sisters. You're going to call them brethren. But does that mean that the author knows that every single person in the church is saved? No, no. It's like the Apostle Paul when he wrote Thessalonians to the church. He he says, "I'm, I'm writing to the elect, I mean, come on, Paul, do you know that every single person in that church is the elect? That every single person in that church has their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? No, you don't know that, but that's how you address the church. You call them the elect. You call them the church, the brethren, the brothers and sisters. This is what you do. But we do know that even though you can address the church corporately as believers, the warning can go out to the whole church, but can have specific application to certain individuals. I've heard it put this way, that the church of all time is made up of professors and possessors. I don't mean professors as in the teaching professors, but those who profess that they have eternal life. And there are those who actually possess eternal life. Are there people that profess Jesus who will be cast out of his presence? Absolutely. Are there people who work miracles? proclaim the gospel, and say, Lord, Lord, did we not? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Professors, and yet there are possessors who actually possess this new life in Jesus Christ. And so Hebrews is warning the entire congregation corporately. It's not that every single person is saved, but it's going out to a warning, and where it hits, let it hit. And I would say the warning that was for the Hebrews is a warning that's for not just the American church today, but for Village Bible Church. My brothers and sisters, and yet the warning is for you because we don't know who is following Christ, who's playing games. We don't know what's going on. So the warning goes out. We, Village Bible Church, must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. It doesn't say we must pay more careful attention to our golf game. It doesn't say we must pay more careful attention to our stock portfolio. It doesn't say pay more attention to your health. must pay more careful attention to your spouse, to your friends, to your vacations. It doesn't say any of that stuff. It says we must pay more careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. It's a word that goes out to all of us. Well, the question is, well, what does it mean to drift away from it? I mean, look at that. It says, it says, so that we do not drift away from it. So they're in danger of drifting away from Jesus and abandoning their faith. And it's a nautical imagery. It's, and, I, and I don't have any stories. I don't have any stories of me being in a boat drifting away, because I hate water, I hate boats, I get sick on everything, I get sick on cruise ships, I get sick, I can't stand it, yes, I've, I've done all the things you're going to tell me to do, I've done all that, taking shots, patch, whatever, doesn't work, so I have no story, but maybe you have a story of being out on a boat, you're out there on the lake, you don't put your whatever, your anchor down, and before long, whoa, you drifted. What did you have to do to drift? Nothing. You just sat there and you got taken away. Did you know that we can be carried away by the currents of the world through doing nothing? You kind of wonder, well, why do people go to hell? Well, it's because they did nothing. They ignore the gospel. They ignore Christ. And they're just drifting away off into hell forever. Forever because it did nothing. Right now, you can be drifting from Jesus Christ, not because you're on some huge bender or you're off in this area doing something super sinful. It could be you're just doing nothing and just drifting and drifting. Verse two. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Now, this is a rhetorical question, and I'm not going to get all fancy on you. It's an argument from something lesser to something greater. And the argument goes something like this. So, the Old Testament came, and it was somehow the law was mediated through angels. The angels were part of bringing the law to Moses. Ten Commandments and all the rest, right? Uh, it says in Acts 7.53, it says, you who have received the law that was put into effect through angels. Galatians 3.19, the law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. So somehow God used the angels as communicators of the Old Testament law, somehow in some way that I don't understand. So the message of the law Came through angels is unalterable, which means that it's binding. That means that when the Ten Commandments came and the rest, they were to obey it. They were not ten options. They were the Ten Commandments along with the rest of the law. And what happens if they broke the commands? Well, consequences. So if someone murdered, the consequence, the binding, unalterable conclusion is, now they must be killed. The law is real, and that law was mediated through angels, and there was punishment for disobeying the law. We all know this. We all understand this, right? Punishment for disobeying the law that was mediated through angels. If that's what happened in the Old Testament, if that's what happened in a mediation through angels to bring the law to Moses and the people of Israel, then how much more if we neglect such a great salvation? In Jesus Christ. If that's what happened in the old tea, and now Jesus is on the scene, and that's what happened to them for disobeying the law, how much so for us who disregard such a great salvation? And he gets very specific in verse three. He says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? And the answer is, you won't. If they were punished in the Old Testament for disobeying the law, and a greater revelation has come through the Son, and if you neglect that, you will not escape. Well, you kind of go, well, what do you mean? Well, what's the punishment? I mean, all the warning passages, what are we talking about? We won't escape. What, What do you mean? He's talking to the church. He says, you neglect the salvation, you drift away, you will not escape punishment. You're like, well, what what are you talking about? What's the punishment? Let me read another passage to you. I don't know if I have Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. This is what Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 says. In case you're wondering what the punishment is, I have it up on the screen. Here we go. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. In reading through all the warnings, I have a hard time seeing anything else but eternal damnation and hell. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Well, if we ignore such a great salvation in Jesus and we will not receive it, we oppose it, well, the opposite is the dreadful suffering in hell. Now, here's the rationale of the argument. If you doubt, you'll be punished forever. If you ignore this great salvation, you need look no further than the Old Testament where there was punishment meted out for the people who ignore the law given through angels, there is a great salvation. And if we ignore it, and if we neglect it, and do nothing with it, and drift away, there will be punishment. And the punishment is eternal damnation in hell. And you're like, wow, this is some serious stuff. These are some serious warnings. This is why we preach through books of the Bible because it's never going to be a fun, happy message to come in here and preach a topical message on the warnings in Hebrews. But it's there. It is there. If we neglect such a great salvation, if we neglect the reality that Jesus died for our sins, rose, ascended to the right hand of the Father, we've been adopted, justified, forgiven, redeemed, we neglect all that great salvation, the threat is real. Well, let's, let it, let's see the rationale, the argument continue. Look at verse 2 again, okay? It says, For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard. God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So just as the law was given through mediators of the angels, the final revelation comes to the, the son. And this is indicating that these, perhaps these Hebrews are kind of like the second generation Christians because they were not eyewitnesses, were they? They heard Jesus firsthand, but they received the message from other people. And when the salvation came to this church, to these people, charismatic stuff is starting to break out. God is showing, look, look at all these miracles. The gospel is legit. God is affirming it. Now I'm going to go ahead and pull back. And then with the remaining few minutes that I have, I'm going to tell you what I think is going on here. And I'm going to tell you what it could mean for us. This is what I think is going on here, okay? God moved among the Hebrews. They heard the gospel of Jesus. Charismatic stuff broke out. People being healed. People were speaking in tongues. And the church was birthed. After a while, they started experiencing persecution. The Romans are pressing in on the Christians. Or maybe they're feeling persecution from uh, those who are still in Judaism, pressuring them to return to the Jewish faith. And they're being pressed and pressed impressed, and they were in danger of drifting away and abandoning their faith. So here comes the author along, and he wants to motivate them both positively and negatively. He motivates them positively to keep following Jesus by saying, hey, guess what? Jesus is superior. He's better He's better than the angels. He's better than the Old Testament prophets. Jesus is better. In fact, he's better than Moses. He'll get into all these arguments that Jesus is better. So here's a positive argument. Do not forsake Jesus because he's much better than anything else you're going to turn to. And then he also motivates them negatively. Oh, if you're going to neglect so great a salvation, the threat is of hell and eternal damnation forever. You may think you're just making a little choice to turn away from Jesus, but the consequences are eternal eternal. No matter what you say, no matter what's going on, how big a professor are, you turn away from Jesus. The consequences are eternal. So that's why he's motivating them. He's voting them positively and negatively. And so here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. You've heard this warning. What's your response to it? If you felt convicted since you've been sitting here this morning or listening online, if you felt convicted of not paying attention to Jesus, of maybe drifting away from him and neglecting so great a salvation, what are you to do? You're to go to Jesus and receive forgiveness and receive mercy and receive grace. You are to let this warning not freak you out, but let the warning draw you closer and closer to Jesus Christ. Because did you know, the warnings in the Bible are not meant to make you doubt your salvation? Because no one ever loses their salvation. Because when Christianity is legit in you, it's been said that Christianity sticks, all right? So don't let the warning that is coming here make you doubt your salvation. Examine your life, flee to Christ, That's what the warning is doing. It's like me driving on Highway 7. I see a sign on the road. It says, curve up ahead, slow down 20 miles an hour. While I'm driving, I don't go, oh, no, I'm about to go off the mountain. No, I slow down, and I make it around the curve. That's what the warnings are for. They're to wake up, stir up the Christian, not making you doubt your salvation. They're there for your perseverance. They're there for you to continue in your faith. They're there to get your attention, and that's okay. That's good. Don't turn away from the warnings. However, if you're driving reckless on the mountain and you don't care, You're in your sin, and you don't care. You're coasting along, doing nothing, and you don't care. You're drifting out to sea away from Jesus, and you don't care. It's like flying on Highway 7 as fast as you can, ignoring all the signs, thinking that you're going to be fine. But if you're not paying attention the results will be disastrous and eternal. So I don't know where you're at with the Lord. I can't see what God can see. If you are a professor and not a possessor, if you are a make-believer or a fake believer, no matter how long that has lasted, you can repent of your sins And flee to safety in Jesus and be forgiven. No matter how long you've been putting up the front or the show, you can be forgiven in Jesus. That is the good news. And whatever you're into, Jesus is better. And so, whether you've been going to church your whole life, it's time that today you pay attention so that you do not drift away and find forgiveness and grace in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you use different things to get our attention. You show us the beauty of Jesus, And when when we're distracted and looking away, you warn us not to condemn us, but to stir us up, to stir us up. And that's what we're supposed to also do for one another. We're to encourage one another to not neglect so great a salvation. We're to encourage one another to not drift away. And Lord, if there is anyone in here has been a make-believer, fake-believer, whatever you want to call it, but they have not been a possessor of new life. But be full of empty words. May they put their faith in you, return to you. May they be the prodigal that comes home and finds forgiveness. No matter how embarrassed they may feel in telling other people, no matter how horrible the sin they've been in, May they flee back to you for forgiveness and grace and mercy and realize that it's ours. It's ours in Jesus. And as we come to this time of communion, Lord, may we remember your sacrifice for us who makes this all possible. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.
0: We hope you enjoyed this message.